as we started last week, we starting a, we've started a new series called Together, and we're going to hear from Pastor Louis in a short while. I saw this quote the other day, and this is the following, God is calling us to be an outpost of heaven that experiences a perpetual Pentecost so that we can participate in the mission of God, which is to restore that which is ugly into which is beautiful. God's calling us to be a piece of heaven here on earth, a little outpost, a little community of heaven that experiences perpetual Pentecost, is continually being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why? So we can do the task that he's called us to, the mission of God, which is to restore that which is lost through sin, whether that's sharing the gospel with people around us. And in a short while, we'll be hearing a little bit from Pastor Louis from Romans 12, uh, what that looks like, what the little outpost of heaven could look like as we hear from the Apostle Paul. The reality is in a church of our side, it's wonderful to gather together in a big place like this uh, as a community of believers, but it's also equally important to find a place of belonging and connection within a smaller community, especially because it's quite easy in our context to get lost, isn't it? Uh, in Hatfield, uh, community groups are the easiest way to, and one of the primary ways we connect in community. Uh, what are community groups? Community groups are smaller gatherings of people who meet on a regular basis and simply do life together. It's a space to be known and to grow in your love for God, for others, and the world around us. And so we want to encourage you, uh, perhaps as you walked in this morning, you would have seen on the right hand next to the little coffee bar, a big board with all the community groups that we have. We have so many community groups, little communities, little outposts of heaven that meet during the week to encourage one another and to grow together, to be known and to be known and to, and to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus in this world. And I want to encourage you uh, to consider as we start this, we started last week, but the series of Together, one of the ways we do that is through community groups and smaller communities. And so uh, we prepared a, a short video clip. Uh, we asked a couple of people in our community what community group means for them. And so we want to show you this short clip, and I'm going to show you with you just how you can get involved. So let's go to the video. Thank you. Community group is doing life together as a community. So it's a pit stop to just get energized for the week ahead. Community group is about real people doing real life in a real way. And I've got my own opinions and I think I know everything, but uh, if I'm in community, I, I see different opinions and different perspectives. I found myself in the ICU in one of the Pretoria hospitals. And guess what? The very first people to be around me we're the members of my life group. We are like a big family. Jesus Christ is central in every life group. You have good people and nice jokes. <laughs> if there's any prayer requests, we come together as a group in order to pray and to seek the Lord for guidance. It's a place where you increase or improve your intimacy with the Lord. To get to, to interact with such sometimes different people. 
you know, with different backgrounds, and, and, and yet you're all looking for the same thing. Community groups are basically just real life in a sea of superficiality. Community group to me is family. It's a place where I get to recharge at least once a week. It's a place where I get to give and get support in prayer. What I love about our group is how multicultural it is. It really feels like we learn so much about one another. Life is not about Sunday services. It's about doing life together and you do life together the rest of the week. We see, we see prayers answered. We become who God's created us or envisioned us to be. I would like to encourage everyone to join community groups. Amen, let's give them a round of applause. So, uh, perhaps you, you were encouraged now, maybe you want to get involved in the community group. How do you do that? Okay, so what we'd like to encourage you to do on my left and my right-hand side, you'll see there's banners, purple banners, and there's also some in the foyer, is to go visit one of our pastors. Our pastors and some of our team will be there. They'll be able to give you some more information about how you can get involved in a community group. So for those, that's for those of you in the room. For those of you online, you can also go to our website. And uh, on our website, there's a little pop-up that'll appear. You can actually get all the information there and sign up there. So can I ask, if, you, if you'd like to get involved in the community group, please sign up after the service this morning. I'm gonna have a, hand over to Pastor Louis. He's gonna share the second hour series together. Thank you, Pastor Louis. Well, good morning, family. It's great to be together, and uh, thank you for that uh, invitation into community groups, and uh, yeah, just so fitting in this time. As we're talking about what it means to be a community, what I would like to do today is to take you to a portion of Scripture where Paul defines and describes love for us. Now, most of us would think that that would be 1 Corinthians 13, because that is, I think, the most commonly known and read scripture that, you know, we call it the chapter of love. But actually, Paul wrote a number of chapters in, that is in different epistles uh, to different communities where he talks about love and what love is. And one of that is Romans 12. So if you can, please go with me to Romans 12 this morning, and I'm going to be reading from verse 9, and uh, just, I, I'm going to spend the Probably the first half of this message on verse 9, and then just the second half on all the rest. So we've got a, a bit to get through, but I trust that this will be just helpful and encouraging to you. Romans 12 verse 9 says the following. I'm reading from the NIV. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. I want to ask you this question. If you hear the word sincere, what does that mean to you? What does it mean to be sincere? In our modern day, how do we interpret that word? How do we live out that word, sincerity? It's a very important word for us, but we have a particular slant to it, I think. And the slant, let me describe what I think it is, and then you can see if you agree with me. The slant, I think, we have to the word sincerity today is you must be, in whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Then you're sincere. It doesn't really matter if what you do is the right thing or the wrong thing, as long as you do it sincerely. Does that sound more or less correct for you? There's a, how, many, how many of you know there's a new Indiana Jones movie coming out soon? I, I can remember at high school, my dad renting the VHS 
And remember those things, the video stores that we used to have. We used to go and rent a video, you know. I can remember my dad when we were in high school renting Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indy's still going at it. He still hasn't found the treasure. He's still looking. And so there's a new one coming out later this year, and I saw the, the trailer, one of the trailers for it. And in the trailer, he says something like this. He says, I have, I've learned that it is not necessarily what you believe in life that's important. It's just how strong you believe it. I think that's how we approach sincerity. It, it doesn't really matter if what you're sincere about is right or wrong or good or bad. As long as you are sincere, we applaud you. We appreciate you. We, we think you're an authentic person. We think you're a real person that is sincerely living the life that you believe is the best for you to live. You are sincere. Now, I want to say to you that's not what Paul means when he uses this word. When he says be sincere or love must be sincere, that's not the context that he or the, 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 the leaning that he has with that word sincere. Now, I think it's interesting just to spend a little bit of time. Love must be sincere. So he's not trying to describe to us here today something that we're reading that he's saying, well, it'll be good if love can do this. He's saying, this is what love must be. In order for it to be love, it must be this. It's not an option. He's not putting it out there. He's saying, this is it. It must be sincere. Now that already is a challenging concept for us because we live in a day and age where love is defined by what I bring to it. What I think love is, that is what love is. Now Paul is already flying in the face of that. He's saying, no, love is not merely what you think it is. Love must be something else. That is not what I think it is. And so the word sincere is an important word to understand. In the Greek, it is the word anupokritos. And it, it's translated by an English word I haven't come across very often. In fact, this is the first time I came across this word in this context. In some of the older translations, it would use the word undisassembled. Have you ever heard that word? No? Did I say that correct? Yes. Undissembled. Sorry. Undissembled. To be undissembled. So Paul is saying, love must be undissembled, to put it in the negative. Love must be sincere. What that word means, if you translate it, it means uh, if, if, to be insincere is to dissimulate. It is to hide under a false appearance. So what Paul is really saying is he says, love must not pretend to be something, but it's actually something else. Love cannot present itself in one way, but actually be something different. Love is something. There is such a thing as love that is not really love. Love that will present itself as love, but it actually isn't love. It is disconnected from what it really is supposed to be. So Paul says love must be sincere. Love must fit into a description or a certain definition. It must meet a certain standard. 
It must lift up, live up to a certain qualification. Anything that is not that is, a, is not love. Love must be sincere. Now, I, I think that's very noteworthy from this point of view, that every one of us desperately want to be loved and want to love. Perhaps it's our most deepest fundamental need that we have is to be loved and to have the opportunity to love others. I, I think if you had to quantify in some way our human experience and put a value to how much time and energy and brain power and activity we spend on that desire to be loved and to love somebody, I think it would be an astounding amount of the majority of our life's efforts are actually motivated and spent around that. So love for us is a very, very important thing. It's so valuable that it matters that we get it right. Because if we get it wrong, it will make us miserable and it could destroy us. So Paul is saying love must be sincere. It must be consistent with what it is. And when I hear that, I want to listen because I, I know myself and I go, well, if love is my deepest need, then there's probably a likelihood that from time to time, I'm prepared in my desperation for love to take certain things to be love or to be an expression of love that might not actually be love. But I just want it so badly that I'll take it in whatever way, shape, or form it comes. And I think we can all understand that. I think we live in a society now that's trying to make the definition of love as broad as we can so that because we want everybody to feel love. We want everybody to have the opportunity to be loved. But what the Bible here says creates a bit of a tension for us because we want everybody to be loved, but not everything is love. I can go somewhere and experience something that is told to me that it is love, that I may even feel that it is love, but it may actually not be love. Love must be sincere. If you go to the dictionary in the, in the Merriam-Webster, when they describe this, this word dissembled or dissimulated, they use a couple of words. They use these words. To be honest, pure, and true. Love must be honest, love must be pure, and love must be true. We can put those words as a bit of a further amplified version description of that one word. How many of you think that it's valuable if love is honest? If somebody says to you, I love you, but you find out they were dishonest in their dealings with you. How many of you know at that point you start thinking perhaps they weren't loving towards me? They presented love, but it actually wasn't love. Because love is honest. Love can be trusted for it to be love. There has to be an honesty to love. Now, that relates for me to the second part of that verse, Paul says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. 
Right there, he puts the word love within a context of morality. Where he says love has a lot to do with what is evil and what is good. And he's saying to us, if you want to know love, you have to know what to hate and you have to know what to cling to. If you want to know love, but you cling to the wrong things, you will get in trouble. There are actually things that are evil. And Paul says, what must you do with those things that are evil? You must. Now that's a strong, strong word, the word hate. It's a word that our society is trying to get rid of. It's a word in the 21st century that we want to cancel. We, we don't like hate. I mean, we spoke about it last Sunday, the hate speech bill, and I want to remind you, if you haven't gone onto the Forza website and given your comment, please do that. And I can understand that. I think we don't want hate in a society. Hate causes so much problems. I mean, I think for us, if you gave us as humans a chance or an option, we would like to put something in the drinking water that makes it impossible for anybody to hate. And we'd think that would be a better world. Imagine the John Lennon song. Imagine if we could remove the capacity for hatred from people. Wouldn't the world be such a much a better place? So much a better place. But Paul actually encourages us to have a capacity for hatred. He says to us, hate what is evil. He could have said, dislike, avoid, minimize. But he uses this word, hate. The strongest aversion you can have you must have towards evil. Why? Because God hates evil. The Bible's clear that says God hates sin. God doesn't dislike it. He's not uncomfortable with it. He hates it. He will have nothing to do with it. And Paul takes that godly character and he says to us, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. I think if you think about it logically, the more passionate you want to love something, the more you have to have the capacity to hate its opposite. Wouldn't that be true? I can't be passionate about something and be blasé about its opposite. It just doesn't go. I can't love justice and you know, sort of be okay with injustice. You can't do that. I can't love Jesus I can be okay with the world. You see, that's the problem with our Christian worldview in this environment that we live in. We have this worldview that feels passionately about some things and absolutely hates other things. And we have to get the right thing in the right place. Love what is good. Cling to what is good. Hold on to it with your dear life. And hate what is evil. But to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good is not defined by me. It's defined by God. God is love. Paul says love must be sincere. So what Paul is saying to us is here's the definition. Here is love. It is a definition. It is a description. It is defined outside of me. I come to it. 
I don't have it in myself. I come to this definition of love and what God wants from me is to live a life that is, in, that is sincere, in line with, congruent, consistent with this definition of love. And what is our definition of love? It's not a dogma. It's not a doctrine. It's not a law. It's a person. God is love. So here's God. God is love. Love must be sincere. He writes to the Christian community and he says, love must be sincere. Your love must be sincere. In other words, your love must be consistent with God's love. What God defines as evil, you must hate. What God defines as good, you must cling to. And don't get the two confused. If you love the world, you are my. What strong language does Jesus use? You are my enemies. You know, I can speak like this in a church, but if I go many other places, I don't think I can speak like this. And people will, will understand it as a loving thing. But that's what Paul does. Love must be honest. It, it, you know what is dishonest? Is when something presents itself to be something that it's not. That's dishonesty. Have you ever been caught up with somebody that made you believe they love you, but only later you found out they just wanted something from you? I mean, we live in the world with internet scams, where people have become experts at convincing people that they love them, only to later get extract money out of them. That's dishonest. Love has to be honest. And, and I think this is the, one of the things where we don't we appreciate our Father's love for us that is so brutally honest. That God doesn't come to you and say to you anything other than that which is true. And sometimes that is, you're a sinner. You're in trouble. Your life is ugly. You need salvation. You need to be rescued. You're on your way to hell. You keep going the way you are. You're going to experience on this earth destruction and you will have death for eternity. I'm going to be honest with you. That's the truth. But guess what? I died. So I sent my son to die so that you don't have to go through that. There's an honesty to that. There's a God that honestly loves us. That honestly confronts our problems. Aren't you glad God isn't a, ah, okay, sarah, sarah, whatever will be, will be, God. Ah, I know, you know, your sin's destroying you, but I really don't want to offend anybody. I, I don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. So, you know, if you need me, I'm here in the background. I'm here in the corner. If you, look, if you want me, you know, I'll be there for you. Now, God is an honest God because he loves with everything. He loves passionately. Therefore he hates. Passionately. And we must not. Mess that up. Not only is love honest. It's pure. The word pure means it's unmixed. With other matters. It's not. A complex mixture of things. 
When God comes to you and he says he loves you, the scripture says his love adds no sorrow because it's not mixed with other things. We mix love with a lot of stuff. I think so often what we actually drink as the potion of love in this world is just a thin little layer of the taste and the texture and the smell of love, but actually if you dig into its ingredients, it's a whole bunch of other stuff mixed in there. You see, and the devil knows that our desperate need for love is, and so he will clothe things and make look, things look like it's love so that we will welcome it and swallow it, only later to, be, to realize how sick it's making us. Can I give you an example of one in this world? And if there's children joining us online or in the room, please, parents just help them. I think one of the lies that we do in this world today is we say love is sex. Love is sex. We talk about making love. For us, where there's, where there's any form of love between people, it has to have, it has to lead to sex. I mean, just watch any TV series or movie, that's how love is expressed. It's sex. The problem is when we do that, we confuse certain things, and then what actually we buy as love is lust. And we say lust is love. Do you see the mixture coming in? And we end up with hurt, we end up with brokenness, we end up with dysfunction, we end up struggling with our lives because we have called something love that isn't love, but we're accepting it as love. And it actually is a Trojan horse that the enemy is using to come in and offload all his wickedness into our lives. We confuse things. We, we're not sincere with love. We'll just take whatever we can get. Love is true. The word true means to be in accordance with actual, the actual state of affairs. Being that which is the case rather than that which is manifest or assumed. As Christians we should be careful about what we receive as love. And what I mean by being careful is we should always hold it up against an, 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 a measure. Is this love or is it not love? And I, I say that to myself because I know my own need for love. And so sometimes, I, because I just want to feel loved, I'll take what people give me and I don't want to measure it up because I don't want to not have love. I'd rather settle for something that is approximating love than have nothing at all. But that's what Paul challenges here when he says love must be sincere. You have to measure it against something. And I think if you think about it, we don't have time to really go into that. But no society can function if love is not measured against something. Because everything is not love. Every experience is not a loving experience. Love must be sincere. Now we must remember that when Paul talks to us like this, what he's saying to us is, like I said last week, we don't have the capacity to love like this. 
God has the capacity. He gave us the ability to do that, but we lost that in our brokenness. And the only way that I'm going to love sincerely is if I allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life, and then that outflowing will cause a sincere love. So now we're going to move over to a very practical list of where Paul describes for us what sincere love looks like. What we must not do is go down the list and think, if I do this, then I have sincere love. No, Lord, give me sincere love, and this is how it will manifest. Now, practically, sometimes, I do take portions of this list and, and hold it, my life up against it and say, I'm not doing well in this area, and I'm going to intentionally work on it. I'm going to be practical about my love. But it's not about copying it's about being re renewed, transformed. Amen? It's about becoming who God is inside of me. So as we read this list, please have that in mind. I don't want to tell you, listen guys, read this list and go do this. Merely. Go practice this. But from a place of recognition, I cannot do this. Because if I could love this way, why do I need Jesus? If we could love according to any of the lists of love descriptions in the Bible, we wouldn't need Jesus. But because we can't, we need Jesus. Jesus regenerates us and it recreates in us the ability to actually live this. So let's go to some of these descriptions. Romans 12, verse 10 to 11. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. Remember last week we said, <laughs> we are not called to love in a human way, we call to love in a divine way, a supernatural way. What does it mean in 2021 to honor others above yourself? I think we live in a society where we either give no honor or we give too much honor. We struggle to find this the healthy balance in the middle. I mean, I think younger people grew up in a world that's a bit different than the world I grew up in. You see, when I, the world I grew up in, if somebody was a teacher or a leader or a, you know, in any leadership position, that meant they were given a certain amount of trust off the bat. We came to those people with a certain trust balance that we said, you have been put in a position by some organization or entity or institution. That must mean you are trustworthy, so I'm going to trust you. Until you fail me, then I will withdraw my trust. How many of you know that younger people don't do that? Because of just what they've experienced, the failures that they've experienced, so many in the society and institutions failing them, it's almost like they say, if you, if you say I am a leader, they say, okay, now I'm not going to trust you. And you've got to prove that you're worthy of my trust. And so I don't want to give honor until I am convinced to give honor. I think there's an unhealthy imbalance on that side. As much as there's an unhealthy imbalance on this side where oh, we just, we almost worship leaders and people. We have to live in the middle. How do you live in the middle? How do you give proper honor? Be sincere in your love. Love must measure up to something. I have a measure. When I look at leaders and if I see them, them fail, I'm not measuring them by my standards, I'm measuring them by God's standards. Because sometimes I would like the leaders that do the things the way I want that done, it's not necessarily the right way, but it just fits my preference or my group's preference. We have a higher standard. 
Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another. That word devoted has a religious connection to it. It's 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 almost a, a worship thing. He says you must have that level of devotion to each other. You see... A a real functioning community, Christian community, has to have a level of devotion to it. I have to be devoted to you. And I think that's where community groups, and we're inviting you into community groups, is a great place. Because you learn how to be devoted to people that don't always deserve your devotion. You see, my Christian community, I value them. Even when I disagree with them, I'm going to remain devoted to them. I've been in this community in some way or another with the South Church now for more than 40 years. I'm so thankful for the wealth, the richness. There's been times where the devotion's been stretched a little bit, where it's been difficult, where I've disagreed with more than what I've agreed with sometimes in certain spaces, but there's a devotion that causes me to stay rooted and firm and planted because of this sincere love. I don't just chop and change. I don't just, ah, you know. I'm often surprised. Let me just say this, then I'll move on. I'm often surprised at how people underestimate the value of community that they've built up over long years when they decide I'm going to move somewhere else or I'm going to go somewhere else. They never count in the loss of community. They take for granted that they're just going to pick it up somewhere else. And you may, and you should, and you can, but don't underestimate devotion and its value. Verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I'm watching the clock here in front of me. As I read verse 11, it was 11.11. So this means you have to listen now. Be never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. This tells me that love in a community is not a passive thing that I'm sitting. Okay, guys, here I am. I'm going to join this community. Come love me. I'm here. If you want to love me, just come. I'm waiting. Is that, is that zeal? No, what is zeal? I'm going to come looking for it. I'm going to come and give it. I'm, I'm going to pursue it. It's a very positive thing. I join a community to say, the way I'm going to find love is by getting in there. Being zealous for it. Because ultimately, I'm not zealous for love defined by me and by my need. I'm zealous for the fervent love of God. And I'm looking for it. I'm pursuing it. I want it. You see, we have such a passive view when it comes to love because it's all about me. Come love me. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't have that philosophy? He'd still be waiting in heaven for us to come and pursue him. But he is zealous for us. That we sing that song. We have this reckless love of God that breaks all barriers, that climbs over every wall in pursuit of us. That same thing, be sincere in your love. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, verse 12. I love just the way that's 
written and translated. Be joyful in hope. Do you know that as believers in community, even at our worst times, our most sorrowful times, we still have joy? It's this weird thing. We can cry together in community, and, and communities do that. I mean, I've been crying over the last couple of years with a lot of people due, due to COVID and cancer deaths and just so much struggle and misery that people are going through. And the challenge with the bigger your community, the more you share in the pain and the joys. I'll talk about that a bit later. But, you know, I, I can remember last year being at the, at the deathbed of these close friends of ours that are elders in the South Church. And uh, Manny and Ilza, and Ilza was in her last, and we were there, around the bed, praying with her, praying with her family. And she went, and we were standing right there when the machines went, beep. And so we prayed our last farewells, and left the family for a little bit of Manny and the kids, and then they came and joined us, and we just prayed together. And there were these tears flowing of sorrow. And in the midst of the tears, we started laughing. We, we started just celebrating, while crying and celebrating. Why? Because there's both the sadness of the loss of a dear one, but at the same time, the hope that she is now with Jesus. And that brings joy, and therefore he can say, be joyful in hope. And that's what I appreciate about my community, is sometimes when I forget that there's reasons to be joyful, I find joy with them. It remind me, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. I so value my community that has shown me through the suffering of others, I've seen their posture, their balance, their strength. When they go through the worst times of affliction, I've seen saints that bear it with a certain patience because they have an eternal view. Have you seen that? Have you encountered that in fellow believers? Where there's a patience in affliction. I so appreciate saints that don't, woo drama queens, you know. It's like, woo everything's falling apart. Because I'm sometimes like that. So I need some saints around me that just have a steadiness, a patience in affliction. Because these momentary light afflictions will produce a, a glory that will far outweigh the rest. Be faithful in prayer. Don't just pray when, when it's desperate. Be faithful in prayer. Verse 13. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. How many of you know hospitality makes a difference? If you want to experience hospitality, go to a community group. It's all about hospitality. Spiritual, physical. I mean, some of the best food I've had is community group food. It's just because... And let me tell you, you don't have to have lots to be hospitable. Some of the greatest hospitality I've experienced in this country and on this continent has been with people that gave me their last meal. That in tin shacks or mud huts with no electricity, they slaughtered that chicken that when you drove, when you arrived, the chicken was still running in the yard. Now that same chicken is on your plate. It may not look as plump and fat and juicy as the chickens you buy at the store, but it's made with so much more love because it's their last chicken. There's no excuse not to be hospitable. 
Hospitality is a biblical value that displays because our Father is hospitable. How many of you know when we get to heaven, they're not going to give you, yes, your one sweet for the month. No more than that. Only one ice cream. How many of you think that in heaven you're going to have those like machines with all the flavors and we just, and we can't get fat and we're just going to, you know, I'll, I'll have some tin roof and then I'm going to have some vanilla chocolate and then I'm going to have some licorice ice cream and then, you know, because our father, there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. Love consistent with that. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So I want to say, be a blesser. Not the way you think. <laughs> the older guys, this is not your permission to do weird things now. This is not what's going on. But be a person that is your default position is not to curse. I find it fascinating that I have to have conversations with young people today about can a Christian swear or not. That's not the question. The question is, if you bump me, what comes out of me? Am I cursing or am I blessing? I want to be a person that does not fill my mind so that if you bump me by accident, the wrong four-letter word comes out. Because it's just under the surface here. I want to, I want to be with Jesus that blesses me when I do not deserve it so that I can be sincere. In my love. Bless and do not curse. Bless and do not curse. Verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. That's what I meant earlier. When you're in community, you experience a greater level of life than you can ever experience on your own. Because you're vitally connected into the lives and the realities of others. And, and that phrase, we do life together. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, how many, how many families here had children graduate over the last couple of weeks? I know, it's graduation season in Pretoria. How many, how many graduates did we have? Come on, there were, I know of a few. Hello? Are your children younger, older? What's going on? There's, there's a few. I'm so glad I get to celebrate that because if one of my children can just finish their degrees, I'd be so happy. But now at least I can celebrate with others. We celebrate. Be humble, Romans 12 verse 16. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. I'm so thankful that you all live this. You are prepared to associate with me. You are not conceited. I'm so thankful. We don't look down upon people. Because that's not what God did to us. We would not be sincere in our love if we receive him elevating us, not looking down on us, but then we look down upon others. You can't do that. Be at peace. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, verse 17 to 20. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if it is possible. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Who are your enemies? Huh? Mm. Everybody that works for ESCOM. 
Mm. Some of them have eaten too much. But the Bible says we must still feed them. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now that concept of burning coals on his head is first mentioned in Proverbs 25. And translators can't quite come to terms with what does that actually mean. Because it's a foreign, it was very textual in its, in its context. But, but some of them believe it's, it's, it means something like this. That when somebody does something unkind to me, but I respond to them in kindness... I'm both judging them and blessing them at the same time. You see, because if you come to me and you act in anger and unkindness towards me, but in the same situation I react towards you with grace and gentleness, what am I doing? I'm showing your failure for what it is. Because I'm telling you, you didn't have to act that way. Look, I didn't do that. You didn't have to do. So that judges a person's actions, while at the same time showing them there's a way out, blessing them. And that's who we are. Worship team guys, please come join me. That's who we are. The last verse to connect with that is be an overcomer. Romans 12 verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome by evil, but be one that overcomes evil with good. How many of you have noticed in South Africa that life is getting challenging from this perspective? People are impatient, people are angry, people are frustrated, and they are, they, their fuses are short. How many of you have experienced that just in the last couple of like weeks? You deal with people and suddenly it just explodes. Now, are we going to be the perpetuators of that or are we going to be the overcomers of that? How do you overcome when anger, frustration, bitterness, negativity, complaining, frustration keeps coming at you like waves? You can either be the point where it stops or you can be the point where it picks up momentum. You choose. If it keeps coming at me, but I say, no, I'm going to be fervent in my love. I'm going to be sincere in my love. Then I'm basically saying it stops here. It stops here. I am not going to just add my five cents to the anger and escalate it that little bit further. And it just perpetuates. And before we know it, we are all wanting to kill each other and rip each other apart. No, Jesus said you are the salt. Do you know what salt does? Is it gets in there and it deals with the corruption. It deals with the rottenness. It deals with the failure. It makes, it gives flavor to that which is horrible. It's the, it's the believer that says, I'm going to love. And you and I can stop these waves. On your front line, in your family, every little conversation, every little thing, you can say, this is God's love. How do I live sincere with His love? The hatred stops here. We're going to hate what is evil. We're going to love what is good. 
it stops here because we are overcomers. We can overcome evil with good. Do we want to be a community that can in this city be the salt that keeps the city from going rotten? Hey, you prepared to do that? Now, unfortunately, you can't do that by staying in the salt shaker. You have to get out. You have to get there in the face of the stuff. But do you know that Jesus believes in what is in you so much that he's not afraid to put you in the midst of the corruption? Stand with me if you don't mind. I'm going to just pray a simple prayer, very short, simple prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have loved us sincerely with honesty, with purity, and with truth. That we can trust your love. Thank you that we have received that, that we are the recipients of that right now. Thank you that we can now live that. Thank you for these very practical instructions of Paul. Help us to love sincerely. Teach me to love sincerely, Lord. Teach us. We ask, Lord, that you would help us in this city to be the salt that this city needs. In the midst of load shedding, that we will be the salt that this city needs. That we will not allow this city to, be, to, to, to become rotten, to be spoiled, but that we will love sincerely. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Are you guys, can, can you lead us in a song just to end? We're going to end with a song because I, I just want us to go out with a sense of victory. Because we have received this. This is ours. We can do this. This is not God saying, I want you to do something. It's impossible. We are overcomers. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. South Africa 2021. Greater is he that is in us than he. 2021. Where am I? Two years behind. And none of you batted an eyelid. You were like, oh, you know. I don't know where that came from. Let's not do 2021 ever again. South Africa 2023 with possible stage. What are we talking about now? 18 load shedding. Hey? Greater is he that is in me. It stops here. It stops at my door. We are going to love sincerely. Thank you, Jesus. So let's go into this world. Let's go onto our front lines. Let us love sincerely and say the nonsense stops here. Amen. I'm not going to contribute to the nonsense. I'm going to be the one that is the salt and the light and the darkness will disappear and the light will arise because the only hope we have is Jesus who loves us sincerely. May the Lord bless you. Go onto your front lines and be carriers of the hope of God. If you want prayer this morning, please come to the front. Our team will be ready. The ministry team, the pastors all engaged with the community groups. Please remember, if you want to find out about community groups, you go there. Ministry team will pray for people in front. And uh, may the Lord bless you. Just have a fantastic 
week. We're filled with the love of God. Love you. Have a great day. Thank you for those joining us online. May the Lord also bless you in this week.